0: Today on the Matt Walsh Show, the Senate held a hearing with the Facebook whistleblower, so-called, yesterday, setting the stage for what will be the most far-reaching censorship campaign in American history. Also, an ESPN anchor has pulled off the air after criticizing vaccine mandates, and Dave Chappelle has a new comedy special out. The media insists that it is incendiary and bigoted, so you know it must be good. And finally, Ray Spader Ibram X. Kendi preaches his version of the gospel message, and it is as heretical as you might expect. All of that and more today on the Matt Walsh Show. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you've no doubt heard me talk about my Helix mattress. My Helix mattress, which is uh, a, a cure for insomnia. I have not had a sleepless night since I started using it. Well, here's the good news. Helix has launched a new company called Allform, and they're making premium customizable sofas and chairs shipped right to your door. So, what makes an all form sofa really cool? Well, for starters, it's the easiest way you can customize a sofa using premium materials and at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your fabric, uh, and it's spill, stain, and scratch resistant. The, uh, you could pick the, the sofa color, color of the legs, everything, every aspect of it is customizable. They've also got armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight seat sectional, so there's something for everyone. All form sofas are also delivered directly to your home with fast free shipping. In the past, if you wanted to order a sofa, you know, it could take weeks or even months to arrive. And you would need someone to come and assemble it in your home. But Allform takes just three to seven days to arrive in the mail, and you can assemble it yourself in just a few minutes. It's that easy to do. So you want to take advantage of this right now and get yourself an Allform sofa. They look great. Uh, they're extremely comfortable. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders to our listeners right now at allform.com Walsh. That's allform.com slash Walsh. One thing we heard over and over again after the January 6th riots is that the U.S. Capitol is a sacred place where the solemn duty of governing is performed. January 6th was a desecration of this holy ground. That's why the Capitol riot was so much worse than all of the BLM riots put together Um, and and so much worse than all of the tragedies of American history put together. And, you know, because when it comes to the BLM riots, BLM merely destroyed and incinerated small businesses and homes where people and where poor and middle-class people live and maybe a police station or two were thrown in there. But that pales in comparison to breaking a few windows and overturning some desks inside the Capitol building because the Capitol building is a hallowed temple. It should be revered and venerated. Now, I personally would have a problem with this attitude no matter who was in Congress. There is nothing sacred about government. There's nothing even all that special about it, frankly. There's certainly nothing venerable or saintly about the people who work in government. They're supposed to be public servants doing a job that we elect them to do. That's all. But all this talk about the blessed, sanctified ground of the Capitol becomes even more absurd when you consider that ma- the many ways in which the people who work in the Capitol happily make a mockery of it every single day. If it were possible to desecrate it, then nobody could possibly desecrate it more than our elected representatives themselves. They've turned Congress into nothing more than a stage upon which they can perform their elaborate puppet shows. Case in point. Yesterday, speaking of puppets, the so-called Facebook whistleblower, Frances Haugen, was brought before a Senate committee to uh, testify. Now, as I've already revealed on this show over the last couple of days, Haugen is a far-left activist with a history of donating to far-left politicians like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's also being represented by a Democrat PR firm. And she has an obvious agenda to push greater censorship of conservative content on social media. She's also not a whistleblower. She has revealed nothing new, nothing of value about Facebook, she hasn't blown the whistle on anything. All of this is nothing but a pageant, a theater performance with the goal of justifying a far-reaching crackdown on content that criticizes the Democrat regime. The totally farcical nature of this whole whistleblower routine became immediately obvious at the beginning of Haugen's opening statement. Let's listen to that.
1: Yesterday, we saw Facebook get taken off the internet. I don't know why I went down, but I know that for more than five hours, Facebook wasn't used to deepen divides, destabilize democracies, and make young girls and women feel bad about their bodies.
0: I mean, make women feel bad about their bodies? And we needed congressional testimony about that? We're supposed to believe that the self-esteem problems of internet addicted women justifies, at least partially, a nationally televised Senate hearing? Now, listen, ladies, I'm sorry if you feel bad about yourselves when you use Instagram, I think probably the best solution would be to stop using Instagram if that's the case. If you're scrolling through Instagram and saying, oh, this this makes me feel so bad about myself, six hours later, you're still scrolling, maybe connect the dots here, put the phone down. As for your daughters having their self-image destroyed by social media, I've already argued stridently many times that the only solution there is to refrain from buying your child a smartphone in the first place. So when you've got, you know, I'm just imagining this this image of grown women scrolling Instagram and feeling so bad about themselves, sitting next to their daughters, also scrolling Instagram and worrying, oh, is this making her feel bad about herself too? Put your phones down. Take her phone away from her. And besides, if we're worried about websites that cause psychological damage to people, especially kids, then why aren't we hearing Senate testimony about the porn sites that expose millions of... Elementary schoolers to hardcore smut every single day. Okay, there there are sites where where uh, middle schoolers can be exposed to rape porn, and there is nothing standing in the way. There's no kind of fil- filter system put in place to stop that from happening. Why are we talking about that? Well, because all of this is again a farce, and the body image nonsense is only a smokescreen. It's a, a cover. The real agenda is political, which became all the more clear during questioning, especially with uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar. Let's listen to that.
2: We've seen the same kind of content in the political world. You brought up other countries and what's been happening there. On 60 Minutes, you said that Facebook implemented safeguards to reduce misinformation ahead of the 2020 election, but turned off those safeguards right after the election. Um, and you know that the insurrection occurred January 6th, do you think that Facebook turned off the safeguards because they were costing the company money because it was reducing profits?
1: Facebook has been emphasizing a false choice. They've said uh, the safeguards that were in place before the election uh, implicated free speech. The choices that were happening on the platform were really about how reactive and twitchy was the platform, right, like how viral was the platform, and Facebook, changed those safety defaults in the run-up to the election because they knew they were dangerous. And because they wanted that growth back, they wanted the acceleration of the platform back after the election, they they returned to their original defaults.
0: Yes, we need safeguards to protect our democracy. And by protect our democracy, they mean protect the vice grip hold that the left has on our democracy, our system. They mean protect the regime. What we've seen just this week alone, between this uh, Facebook whistleblower burlesque and the FBI going after parents who criticize school board members, what we've seen here is a full court press panic by the ruling class to shut down not only criticism, but all avenues for criticism. And they feel morally justified in doing so because it's what's best for us. We mere mortals are too stupid and incompetent to arrive at our own conclusions or form our own opinions. For our own sake, they must ensure that we adopt the conclusions and opinions that um, they assign to us. And that's why Haugen is being hailed as a courageous hero by the media. In fact, CNN, in an interesting choice, brought Monica Lewinsky on camera to sing Haugen's praises and also to promote her new HBO documentary. Let's listen to that.
1: I think that that sort of more importantly, what we've seen kind of from yesterday, and I think it, it's worth mentioning that Frances Haugen of, of, in testifying how brave she was, because in part, what our doc is looking at is this online behavior that happens and women and people from marginalized communities are torn apart way more online. So to come forward as a whistleblower in that sense is um, is very brave. And I think that what she was also talking about and, and um, really showcasing, too, with the algorithm and the, um, the focus on the outrage, you know, where the doc comes into all of this, too, is that if you think about the stonings that happened way back when, the stone that you're picking up and throwing in the kind of firestorm of outrage is usually and often is public humiliation and shame.
0: Well, incredibly brave, yes. I mean, to come out in public and say exactly what those in power want to hear and to withstand their universal applause and acclaim and to ensure that you'll get a million-dollar book deal and end up on the speaking circuit making six figures per speech, probably end up with a a movie and a miniseries, all of that is quite brave. Of course, the word brave here can be translated roughly as useful. Any complimentary word from the media, always really means useful because they only approve of actions that are useful to their agenda. So if they're complimenting you, whatever they're saying, what they really mean is useful. As far as that goes, this is all indeed quite useful to them because they've set the stage now for a censorship campaign unlike anything we've ever seen in this country. They can't compete with the other side intellectually. They can't win in a contest of ideas. So their plan now is to cancel the contest and proclaim themselves the winners by not allowing anybody else into the arena to begin with. Let's get now to our five headlines. You know, fall is uh, finally here. And what do you want to be doing in the fall? You want to be out. You want to be going for a hike. You want to be skipping through fields of flowers. I guess the flowers are all dead now. But Forget about that. Let's just talk about Rock Auto. RockAuto.com, look, it's so much easier than going into a store and someone demanding quick answers to the things that you need or walking around looking for a specific part. You don't find it. They got to order it online. Uh, why do that? Well, you can just go to RockAuto.com. It's always offering the lowest prices possible and always they're giving you the best selection as well. They're a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are reliably low and they're always the same no matter who you are. The rockauto.com catalog is uh, unique, very easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your car or truck. And you can choose the brands, the specifications, the prices that you prefer. Put all that in and you just hit go and it pops up exactly what you're looking for every time. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. So go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car, truck, and Wright Walsh in there. How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Well, it's good to be back uh, in studio, finally. Um, it is, it, I, I, I so much prefer being in a studio than doing these shows, like in a hotel room. It can be, it's hard to get into show mode when you're just sitting in a, in a random hotel room. I don't know how but, you know, I, I did the show from my house for so long and from a car. I don't know how I did that now. Probably why the show sucked so much back then. And maybe even still now. But anyway, I, I have moved back to, um, to Tennessee. So that, I guess that's, that's the headline here. I mean, we, I, I, after long conversations with, uh, with my wife, we did finally make the decision. Um, and, and after being in Virginia, uh, for, for so long, I mean, for, for dozens and dozens of hours, we lived in Virginia days even. Um, but finally we, we made the decision to uh, relocate and come here to Tennessee and I, I think it's the right right decision for our family. My wife had, you know, arguments that she made. Like, for example, I don't want to live in some woman's basement in Loudoun County. That was an interesting argument. Um, and so we decided to, to move back here. But but Virginia, you know, will, even if I don't have a home in Virginia, Virginia will have a home in my heart. Forever and always. And coming back home... Uh, to to uh, to Tennessee when you know when I got home that w- I did run into a, to an interesting problem that I wasn't quite expecting because uh, I got back to the house you know I've been gone for like a, almost a week and a half and we got this damn dog which I've told you about and we got the dog like a day and a half or two days before I left and so we got the dog I was I was home for two days and then I left for eight or nine days and I came home and I guess the dog. For forgot about me forgot about my existence and saw me as kind of an intruder in my own house. so the dog had had bonded to my my family to the kids and my wife but that now I'm an intruder so I get home and he, he's like he wouldn't let me go near my own kids without growling at me I picked up my daughter and he starts growling because he thinks that I'm you know a threat or something and it's it, it really is pretty outrageous and, and my, my older daughter comes up to me at some point. And says, oh, well, daddy, you have to, you have to, you know, you have to make the dog like you. Why don't you give him some treats? You know, you you have to, you have to make him like you. And I said, I have to make, I'm sorry, what? This, this mangy mutt is in my house and I have to win his affections? That's not the way this works. Okay. You you, you have to earn my respect, not the other way around. I go for eight days. I'm replaced. I'm totally replaced by a dog. That's what happens. All right. Let's uh, let's start with this. Sage Steele's an ESPN anchor. She's the latest to end up in front of the cancellation firing squad. This is from Fox News. It says ESPN Sports Center host Sage Steele is being pulled off the air following remarks she made, knocking her employer's vaccine mandate, as well as comments made about former President Obama. I think we have we have the vaccine comments here. Uh, let's let's play those first. This is on a podcast and this is what she said about uh, vaccine mandates. I, I think to man I respect everyone's decision. I really yeah. do. Yeah. But to mandate it is um sick mm-hmm. and it's scary yeah. to me in many ways. Um but I have a job,
1: yeah. a
0: job that I love and frankly a job that I that I need. But again, I love it. Yeah. I just um I'm not surprised it got to this point, especially mm-hmm. with Disney. I mean a, a global company <laughs> like yes. So that's what she said. Now the headlines are telling you that Sage Steele is uh, came out as an anti-vaxxer. She came out against vaccines. None of that happened. Obviously, this is the sleight of hand trick that that of course we've we've seen from the left on this issue, just like on every issue. There's always some kind of trick, and um, and that's what it is on this. That if you're against vaccine mandates, that means that you're that you're against vaccines in general. And then about Barack Obama, she says, um, talking about. Filling out the U.S. census form and she expressed wanting to include multiple races instead of just one. She says, if they make you choose a race, um, what are you going to put? And I go both. And she's like, well, you can't Talking about filling out a census form. She goes, Barack Obama chose black and he's biracial. And I'm like, congratulations to the president. That's his thing. I think that's fascinating considering his black dad was nowhere to be found and his white mom and grandma raised him. But hey, you do you. I'm going to do me. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's, all right, that's deeply controversial. There, just pointing out a fact that Barack Obama was is biracial. He was raised by his white mother and grandparents, but didn't identify with that side of him at all. Identified as black. That's true. Uh, but that's why that's why she was pulled off the air. Now ESPN has. Uh, ex- explaining its move. It says, at ESPN, we embrace different points of view. <laughs> they, they just pulled off one of, their, one of their star, one of their main anchors for ex- expressing her point of view. They pulled her off air for that, but they're only doing it because they embrace. This is their, this is their way of embracing uh, different points of view. We embrace different points of view, dialogue and discussion, make this place great. That said, we expect that those points of view be expressed respectfully in a manner consistent with our values and in line with our internal policies. We're having direct conversations with SAGE, and those conversations will remain private. So you can have different points of view as long as those points of view are in keeping with our values, with the left's values, which, which is another way of saying that you can't have different points of view at all. So this is, this is really important to understand. She's, she's pulled off the air. And this isn't even... There's no indication that she's a Republican or a conservative, God forbid. Uh, There's not even any indication of that. I have no idea what her politics are. I I would assume, I don't know this, I would assume that she at least leans heavily liberal only because I don't know how you would survive for this long at ESPN if you didn't. Um, But nothing that she said, taking the the Obama stuff out of it, because that's nothing at all there. With the vaccine... There's there's no reason why that has to be a conservative right wing talking point. Though, as a conservative right winger, I'm happy to take it. I mean, if if you want to insist that um, you know, standing up in favor of choice when it comes to the drugs you put in your body that that's now a conservative point of view, fine. I mean, I'll I'll take that. But even as a conservative, I don't see any reason why it needs to be that's what we hear from the left anyway. Next, we have uh, protesters showed up at the house of a school board member in Sarasota. This is school board chairwoman, Shirley Brown, and uh, protesters upset about what's happening in their school system, upset about critical race theory and other things. They showed up at our house, and this was the, this footage is making the, the rounds on, on the internet yesterday. People were uh, condemning it. People on the left and the right saying this is, this is it's a beyond the pale we, we can't do this kind of crosses a line let's first uh, check out some of the footage here of these um of these dastardly dangerous protesters let's watch this
2: we see you in there Shirley we want you to come out
0: for a redress of grievances we know the next
2: step is from mass to vaccine and this will not happen this is the line we will die on that's right no to vaccines no to masks
0: Shirley, come on out, Shirley. We have some
1: questions
0: and we have some demands that need to be met. Where's my list of stuff? So we've got, uh, we've got, it looks like maybe three guys there, a couple women and then some kids. So a handful of people, it's like mostly kids that are there and they're holding some signs and they've got an American flag and they've got the bullhorn. Now here's what I'll say about this. Uh, this is obviously not how I choose to protest. We, we held a rally, as you know, in Loudoun County, we did it in front of the school board, meaning we weren't going to their homes. Um, that's not how I choose to protest. It's not how I recommend protesting, but if you don't like this strategy, and especially if you're on the left and you don't, you don't like this, you don't like the idea of, of For example, angry parents showing up at the the, the homes of school board members. You only have yourself to blame. This is entirely your your fault. Yes, I'm doing a you started it thing. That's exactly what I'm doing. And that is a legitimate point to make here. Just like we pretend that whataboutism, you're never allowed to say, you're never allowed to frame an argument with what about, well, what about this? Of course you can. If someone is criticizing something that they themselves do, then it is perfectly valid for me to say, what about the fact that you do it? Just like if they're criticizing something, a, a method, a strategy that they themselves have been employing and supporting and defending for years is perfectly valid for me to say, you started this. This is on you. Because what 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 we're finding is for for a long time. I mean, the left has been doing this exact thing for years and years, and it's not. They, they, don't don't say they're, they only oh they, they only choose the the most powerful people to do. No, it's not true. I mean, they go after politicians at their homes. They go after uh, media personalities at their homes. They they go into neighborhoods. Where there isn't even anyone in particular there who they have a have a, a grievance against. Except they just hate everybody in the neighborhood because they, they assume they're all, you know, white middle class people. They'll go into a white middle upper class neighborhood with bullhorns in the middle of the night. And harass everybody for no particular reason. They'll do that to, to diners at a restaurant. We've seen so many videos like that. BLM, Antifa showing up. Harassing diners just sitting at a restaurant. Even when, again, there's no one there in particular they have a special grievance against. Certainly nobody in any position of power. So they've been pulling this move for years and years. And the assumption has been, and they've gotten used to this, they've gotten comfortable with it. Because the assumption has been that, that hey, we're, we can do this kind of stuff. We're allowed to do this. You can't. And for a long time, um, for the most part, the right has kind of tacitly accepted that and said, OK, all right, fine. We'll, we'll leave all that to you. You guys can do that. But we, we, we would never cross that line. Well, th- those days are over now. There are a lot of people on the right saying, you know what, if you're going to do this, we're going to do it, too. We're not going to ex- respect some code of decorum that you aren't respecting. We're not going to artificially limit ourselves, stand behind this imaginary line while you run around and do whatever you want. Okay, we're not going to play a game with you where you've rigged the rules ahead of time to give yourself every advantage. And we're not going to respect those rules. We're not going to do that. That's what a lot of people on the right are saying. And um, again, if you don't like it and you're on the left, it is your fault, 100%. 100% your fault. You brought it on yourself. You know, when when the left started doing this kind of thing, uh, I mean, they've always been doing it, but when, when it became, you know, more, a much more prominent strategy, how, how many people on the left in media... How many, how many of them came out and said, no, 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 this is, uh, this is over the line. We can't do this. Almost none. Even when they're burning down buildings and looting and looting, you know, still. Almost no one condemning it. And even the people who do condemn it, they always condemn it. They always, they always couch their criticisms, their very gentle criticisms by saying, well, I understand why these people, you know, I understand what they're upset about. They feel powerless. They don't know what else to do, blah, blah, blah. This is all on you. All right. From uh, Axios, it says a trillion dollar platinum coin could be minted within hours of the Treasury Secretary's decision to do do so, uh, according to the former director of the United States, Mint. Congressional solutions to the debt ceiling problem could take weeks to implement, especially if the reconciliation process is used and time is running out. In case of emergency, a trillion dollar coin could be deployed to bridge any gap between the money running out and the debt ceiling being used. Um, so that's the idea. Now we, 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 hear about this mint the coin. And if you're, if you're on Twitter, you might, or social media, you might see the hashtag mint the coin. Uh, and that's, that's what they're talking about to solve the, uh, the, the, the debt problem, just print a coin that says a trillion dollars. Eh, look at that. We got a trillion dollars now. Now I'm, as you know, I'm no economic expert whatsoever. I'm no economist myself intuitively, this just seems totally absurd. And also like, I doubt it will actually happen, but if it does, that there would be significant consequences to it and ramifications. I, th- I think in a, in a way, kind of philosophically, um, the most serious ramification to something like this, to the treasury just minting a trillion dollar coin. You know, it, 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 take a coin and say, this is our magic coin. It's worth a trillion. And if you're going to do that, why only a trillion? Why not two trillion? Why not 10 trillion? I mean, there's just, it's just like no limit, especially when we're dealing with figures like a trillion. <laughs> um, these cosmic, astronomical, cosmic-sized figures. There's no limit. Why not print a, a gazillion dollar coin? But when, you, when you, see, you hear about plans like this, I think what, one of the biggest problems is it's it kind of breaks, it's this break the fourth wall type of moment. Because our entire economic system is built on this fiat currency, this money that's sort of a it's a it's a fiction. It's a story that we tell ourselves. It has no real concrete value. And we all kind of Agree that we're going to pretend that this stuff has value when it really doesn't. it doesn't, doesn't have any actual inherent value. We've we've agreed to pretend. So the money in our form of currency, it is like I said, it's a it's a story that we've that we're all telling each other, and we've all agreed to t- take take part in this uh, this pageant. And when you do something like this, I think it kind of breaks the fourth wall, and it reminds everyone that oh, this is all fictional. I can't. I can't spell out exactly what the consequences are for that, but they don't seem very good. Same for this. Uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, you know, she's been pushing this idea, just like the the, the, the Obama administra- the Biden administration. Freudian slip there. One and the same. The Biden administration has been pushing this uh, plan to uh, have the IRS monitor ev- almost everybody's bank accounts. Any bank account with six hundred dollars in it. Or a bank account that has had $600 worth of transactions over the course of a year, which is most bank accounts. So like every bank account, except for the bank account that maybe your 17-year-old kid who works at uh, McDonald's has. Everybody else, they want to monitor everyone's bank accounts. Which means that they're putting us all under a permanent audit. And here she is on CNBC, Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, um, explaining why this is so necessary to do.
1: There's an enormous tax gap in the United States, estimated at $7 trillion over the next 10 years in terms of a shortfall of tax collections to what we believe are owed. And that that's not coming from people failing to report wage income or dividend income where there's good information. It comes from um, places where the information on income is opaque and can be hidden.
0: How old is this person? What what is she? She's got to be in her her late 70s, early 80s. The the entire government, this is not really the point, but every time I see one of these people on TV, our entire government is being run by people who are 80 plus. It's it's insane what we're doing. But she says that uh, it's, it's what's happening with the money. It's opaque. It's hard to track well yeah it's supposed to be that's called privacy that's called economic freedom what this this thing that they're pushing is is not getting a lot of attention even from the right but they're talking about permanently erasing economic freedom out the window it's gone this isn't this isn't this isn't simply an attack on our financial freedom and on our privacy it is the end of it Again, it is effectively a permanent audit by the IRS of all of us, permanently, all the time, where they have direct access to your bank accounts. Now, it's true that even right now, without any kind of policy or law like this in place, the IRS can gain access to your bank accounts, um, but there's a process they have to follow on an individual basis to do that, at least. Here we're throwing that out, and and somehow this has gotten very little attention. I think part of that is because the assaults on our on our basic fundamental liberties from the Biden administration are coming from fifty different angles, and it's hard to focus on one thing at a time. You know, it's like playing one against fifty in dodgeball, and you've got all these balls flying at you at one you know at, at the same time. You try to dodge away from one end of getting hit by another. Uh, So that's part of the reason. Also because the tyrants, like you listen to Janet Yellen, uh, they they aren't like tyrants in movies or in, in, you know, super villains in in comic books. They kind of bore you to death. I, I, I listened to Janet Yellen for 17 seconds. I almost fell asleep. Well, that's, that's how actual tyrants operate. They're not going to get on TV cackling maniacally. Well, they will if it, Kamala Harris will, but most of them won't. They're like rubbing their hands together and talking about their evil plot to take over the world. That's not the, really the way it works. These are just like boring, dull people who come up with these horrific, tyrannical ideas, and they propose them, and they, they uh, defend them in this really sanitized way, heavy in euphemisms. And it could kind of lull you to sleep. And that's part of the strategy here. All right. uh, Dave Chappelle has a new comedy special out. And I haven't seen it yet. I I guess it just came out yesterday or the day before. But I already know that I'm going to like it based on the fact that the media is having a hissy fit about it. They're condemning it as bigoted, uh, incendiary, all these things, reckless, dangerous. They're, say, they're saying all of the things that you should certainly want these kinds of people to say if you're a stand-up comedian and you've just, you know, released a stand-up special. Uh, so he he talks about uh, transgenderism, which is a theme that he's returned to in in several of his uh, most recent comedy specials. At one point, he says that gender is a fact, and he makes a point that um, only women can have babies. And he's right about that. Now, if I want to split hairs here, and it's not really splitting hairs, but it is important to say, uh, the, the, no, g- what, what you mean is biological sex is a fact. Gender is actually a fiction that, uh, that, that gender theory proponents and members of the gender cult have invented. Um, but I get what he's saying, and that's the basic point that he's making. Also, he talks about the rapper uh, DeBaby, who got into a lot of trouble recently when he uh, made some comments about gay people some anti-gay comments uh, during a, during a concert. And people got very upset about that. And you may remember, I talked about this on my show, how the baby uh, was being criticized for these comments he made about gay people. Meanwhile, you listen to any of his songs and he's openly promoting and encouraging people to kill each other, deal drugs, all that kind of stuff. Abuse women. None of that gets him in trouble, but the gay comments do. Dave Chappelle makes kind of that point, only he, he actually uh, brings something up about the baby that I didn't even know. Let's, let's listen to this.
2: A lot of the LBGTQ community doesn't know the baby's history. He's a wild guy. He once shot a <laughs> and killed him in Walmart. Oh, this is true. Google it. The baby shot and killed a in Walmart in North Carolina. Nothing bad happened to his career. Do you see where I'm going with this? <laughs> in our country, you can shoot and kill a but you better not hurt a gay person's feelings. So, I, I, so
0: he actually he actually killed a guy. I, I looked, I did look that up. I did Google it per uh, Dave Chappelle's instructions, and it's true. He k- he killed a guy in Walmart, of all places. And look, if you cannot be safe in a Walmart, then where can you be safe? And uh, you know, he, he, he survived that fine in terms of uh, public relations. That, that was no PR crisis. But he talks about gay people and that's a problem. Now, Chappelle has been accused, just like when he makes comments about gender and, and in all of his previous stand-up specials the left's gotten upset about. They always accuse him and are accusing him again of, uh, of punching down. Right? He's this He's this wealthy, privileged guy Talking about the LGBT community. This is, this is him punching down, and comedians should never punch down. Well, the first answer to that is that um, actually comedians should be, their, their first goal is to be funny. And so they should just be punching wherever is the funniest to punch. Okay? So this punching up, punching down, as long as it's funny, you've done your job as a comedian. But also, this is punching up. This is speaking truth to power. going after the lgbt community that is punching up because when it when it comes to cultural power they have all of it you know, they they are the the unquestioned untouchable authorities in in our culture the lgbt community is the is the the sacred cow that you can't criticize you can't say anything about you can't make jokes about them You make jokes about anybody else, almost. And that also depends on where you fall on the intersectional scale. Dave Chappelle, as a black man, according to the rules of the left, he can make jokes about almost anyone else. But not LGBT, because they're higher up on the victim ladder than he is. And since victimhood is power, you know, faux victimhood is power, performative victimhood is power, um, that makes the LGBT lobby the most powerful in the country. So that, that is that is speaking truth to power. That, that, is, that is an example of punching up. Not that, again, it really matters when, when it comes to a comedian. As long as they're being funny. And that's a funny joke. That's not really a joke, and I did say that first, so I mean, I'm not going to accuse Dave Chappelle of listening to my podcast and taking my material, but hey, you draw your own conclusions. All right, finally, this is uh, Representative Chris Rabb, who is a legislator from Pennsylvania. And he tweeted uh, this out a couple days ago. He said, I'll be introducing a bill inspired by Representative Kelly Cassidy that requires all inseminators to undergo vasectomies within six, six weeks of having their third child or 40th birthday, whichever comes first. Additionally, my forthcoming bill will codify the definition of wrongful conception to include when a person has demonstrated negligence toward preventing conception during intercourse. This legislation will allow Pennsylvanians to take uh, civil action against inseminators for unwanted pregnancies who wrongfully conceive a child with them. Last, this bill will empower Pennsylvanians to enforce this prospective law by offering a $10,000 reward for reporting the proper authorities, those scoff laws who have not complied with this statute within the allotted time frame. Okay. So the main headline, if there is one here, is that he wants, uh, he's going to introduce a bill that would uh, require all men, inseminators as he calls them, to get a vasectomy after they have three kids. Or after they reach their 40th birthday, it's too late to have kids. Now, this is obviously a publicity stunt, clearly. And he's trying to make some kind of point about... um, about pro-life laws, that, that's, that's the idea. But what point is he actually making? The, the point is that he's a miserable scumbag? I guess, I guess that's the point. I mean, and if that's what he, the point he's trying to make, then he certainly has made it. It, it. In order to, what, own the right, he's endorsed, you know, the Chinese communist policies. The Instead of the one-child policy, we're doing a three-child policy. That's how he's owning us. And the interesting thing is that what you have here with this bill, uh, he's actually undermined his own case because this is a great example of what an attack on reproductive rights would actually look like. Not that as it stands right now, this has any chance of becoming a law in Pennsylvania, but this is what an attack on reproductive rights actually looks like. Where you are telling you, in this case, you would be telling men That they're not allowed to reproduce anymore beyond a certain... You're setting a threshold and saying they can't reproduce beyond that threshold. That's what an attack on reproductive rights looks like. When you are trying to prevent or control reproduction itself. Compare that to pro-life laws and you see something entirely different. Where women are certainly not being prevented from reproducing. They're not being forced to reproduce. There are no controls being put on reproduction whatsoever. All of the laws are governing what happens to the offspring that have already been reproduced. Uh, a point that I've made many times will continue to make. But here we find a, 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 an interesting contrast that this guy has provided to us in an effort to make a in an effort to criticize pro-life policies. He's actually demonstrated why his criticisms of those policies are not valid. Great. Good job. Let's get now to reading the comments.
2: Who's rocking polka dotted flannel shirts without shame? Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang.
0: Uh, G Max says, why can't politicians speak with the blunt truth Matt Walsh uses? I think lots of people long to hear it. Uh, The main reason why politicians don't speak blunt truth, as you point out, uh, it's I I think most people would say, oh, because they're cowards. And certainly a lot of politicians are. But even more than that, the bigger problem is that they just don't they don't care. They, They don't really believe anything. They don't believe the things they pretend to believe. This is the problem with most Republicans. Even I kind of make the mistake of uh, talking about Republicans as if their main problem is that they're a bunch of cowards, and many of them are, again. But before we even get to the cowardice, the issue before that one is that many, most of them don't really care about any of these issues. Uh, Garrett says, I will ask your beardness one question. I want to watch The Many Saints of Newark, but I haven't seen The Sopranos. Which should I watch first? Keep in mind, uh, I may disregard your answer and just do what I want. Please do not smite me. Well, you're obviously banned from the show for that. I haven't seen The Many Saints of Newark. I've only watched one and a half seasons of The Sopranos. And uh, I got to be honest with you, I-, I went I went into it excited to watch The Sopranos. I, I-, I watched it for the first time like two years ago. I, I completely missed it when it first aired on HBO and um, never felt back. felt like going back and watching it. Uh, I'm not one of these people who can sit down and watch five episodes of a series in one night, so it takes me a long time to get through an entire, especially Sopranos has five or six seasons. That's just a long-term commitment, and I've been hesitant to do it. But I finally said, all right, everyone talks about The Sopranos like it's maybe the greatest show of all time, and I sat down to watch it. I really wanted to like it, and I, I found it to be terribly overrated. I got to be honest with you. Um Devon Daniel says, "Why did the trans person keep insisting that their gender be assumed by how they look? Wouldn't that be gender stereotyping? Yes, with the sonic situation. Yeah, they, they did uh, he did. Why? Because proponents of gender theory on the left, uh, gender theory itself is is completely incoherent. That's why. They, they can't help but contradict themselves. With each new sentence they utter, because it's total the entire concept, the entire theory is incoherent by its nature. Uh, Sam West says, "Has anyone started a GoFundMe for the Sonic manager? I want to contribute. I don't think anybody has yet. If if the if that manager is fired by Sonic, and I've been checking to see if they actually did fire this guy, so far I haven't seen anything about it. So as far as I know, they haven't." But if they do, then I'll start to go fund me myself. And something else is um, this would be a time for a real boycott, an actual organized boycott of, of Sonic, if they do fire this man, who's the victim of public shaming and bullying by this uh, man who identifies as a woman. Uh, let's see. Major Tom Fisher says, Matt. Do you think that Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, will eventually compete with corporate media for narrative power? Or do you think that the objective of corporate media is merely to just enforce the same rules on social media? It seems like both factions lean hard left, but both want to consolidate and exercise massive propaganda power. Um, Yeah, the narrative of Facebook and Twitter is the same as corporate media. That's the point. They have the same narrative goals. But many of the people who use these social media platforms don't. And as far as that goes, I think um, I, I think that the, the you know conservatives on social media are already very much competing with corporate media for narrative power. Uh, I I don't know that we could say that we've overtaken. I mean, the corporate media still exercises a lot of control and power over the over the narrative. But there is a stiff competition right now, that's for sure. And that's exactly why they're pushing this right now. Because they see where the trends are heading. Uh, Karen says, I got my SBG t-shirt last week. And when my husband saw it, he asked, what's that all about? I told him Matt Walsh fans are called the Sweet Baby Gang. He said, who's Matt Walsh? When my son saw me later, he asked, why do you have a guy in a diaper on your shirt? When my 11-year-old daughter saw it, she said, oh, cool, you got a Matt Walsh shirt. Now I know who knows me best. Look, I would never advocate, Karen, for something like this. I would never advocate for this. Under normal circumstances. And I'm very hesitant to say this. And I I say this solemnly. Um, But I think you need to consider disowning your son and divorcing your husband. Drastic move, I understand. I'm just kidding, but not really. Now a word from Paint Your Life. You know, PaintYourLife.com, I've been telling you about Paint Your Life for... For a while now, we've got some Paint Your Life paintings in our own house, and the other great thing about them is that they make uh, they make a great gift. In fact, this was my gift to to my mom, whose birthday was uh, was recent re- recently came up, and it was a it was a big hit. The, the great thing is, it's a great gift that actually, and it's thoughtful, but it requires very little effort on your part because all you're doing is you're sending Paint Your Life uh, any kind of picture, any valuable, cherished memory that you have, and they're going to convert that. Into a beautiful work of art using their with their world-class artists, and you can also work with them to make sure that each detail is perfect. So again, you just send any picture of yourself, your children, um, family, special place, special memory, and they're going to convert that into uh, a great painting. It makes perfect birthday, anniversary, wedding gift, anything. Um, it's meaningful, it's personal, and these are memories that can be cherished forever. At PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. So to get a special offer, text the word MATT to 64000. That's MATT to 64000. Text MATT to 64000. Paint Your Life. Celebrate the, ma- the moments that matter most. Terms apply. Available at PaintYourLife.com terms. Again, text MATT to 64,000. And, you know, in a world full of hyperbole and propaganda, you deserve the straight up facts. That's why we started our new podcast, Morning Wire, which has been topping the Apple and Spotify charts since its recent release. It's the only daily news podcast that values your time and the truth. And while we're working overtime to bring you the news you need to know, we need your help to keep the facts trending towards number one. So subscribe and start listening to Morning Wire on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. Let's get now to our daily cancellation. Now we cancel once again, noted race hustler Ibram Henry Rogers, better known by his stage name Ibram X. Kendi. But this is not just about him. Today we're canceling a large and ever-growing group of people, of which Kendi is among the most prominent representatives. The Daily Wire reports, uh, quote: "Jesus was a radical revolutionary dedicated to the destruction of the American Empire, and every church should be a home of revolutionaries." Ibram X. Kendi, the best-selling author of How to Be an Anti-Racist said in a recent interview. Kendi said that he believes in black liberation theology as opposed to white evangelical theology, which allegedly teaches that black people are, quote, a backward, uncivilized, sort of savage race, and Jesus came to save black people and so-called white trash from themselves. Kendi expounded on his religious views during an hour-long interview pro- program sponsored by Uproxx, titled People's Party with Talib Kweli. Kweli began the religious discussion, quote, any gospel that does not speak to liberation is not truly gospel. The understanding of Jesus is a, as a Radical revolutionary nowadays is more popular than it used to be, something he credits to Cornel West, the honorary chairman of the Democrat Socialist of America and faculty member at Union Theological Seminary. Now, Kendi has been preaching this line for a long time, of course, and he's gone into greater detail in the past. Here he is at a church in Manhattan explaining this concept of liberation theology. Listen.
2: Liberation theology. In other words, Jesus was a revolutionary, <laughs> and the job of the Christian is to revolutionize society. That the job of the Christian is to liberate society from the powers on on earth that are oppressing humanity. Everybody understand that? So that's liberation theology in a nutshell. Savior theology is a different type of theology. The job of the Christian is to go out and save these individuals who are behaviorally deficient. In other words, we're to bring them into the church, these individuals who are doing all of these evil, sinful things and heal them and save them. And then once we've saved them, we've done our jobs. And, and to me, anti-racists fundamentally reject savior theology. That, goes right in line with racist ideas and racist theology in which they say you know what black people other racial groups the reason why they're struggling on earth is because of what they're behaviorally doing wrong and it is my job as the pastor to sort of save these wayward black people or wayward poor people or or wayward queer people that type of theology breeds bigotry well, yeah, the
0: cause of many of our struggles for people from all groups and walks of life is what we are behaviorally doing wrong. This is otherwise known as sin. We are sinners in a sinful world, and our sin, the evil that we choose to do, is what causes much of the pain and misery we all experience. This is a basic Christian concept. And like so many Christian concepts, it's also common sense. It should be obvious to anyone, Christian or not, that the world is in the shape it's in largely because of choices that people make. Kennedy, of course, because it's his whole shtick, racializes the issue, He claims that those dastardly proponents of savior theology, otherwise known as Christian theology or biblical theology, are really focused on, as he puts it, saving wayward black people. As always, uh, the victim complex is driven by narcissism. Kendi imagines that he, as a black person, is everybody's primary focus. He imagines that white people in church on Sunday are sitting there thinking, man, what can we do about these black people? Now, it's true that a great many of the problems in the black community are caused by choices that people in that community make. Just as, again, the majority of problems in any community are caused by the choices people within that community make. But it may shock Kendi to be informed that white people sitting in church or kneeling in prayer are, like anyone else, primarily focused on their own lives and on their families. They aren't thinking, what can I do about this other racial group? They're thinking about, you know, what can I do about my family struggles, about my struggles, about my kids? And the savior theology, as Kendi labels it, thinking the term is somehow pejorative, Provides the answer. You bring it all before Christ. He saves. He he heals. The proponents of this theology uh, don't think that they themselves can save and heal, but that Jesus can. And if you don't think that, then you're not Christian. Kendi is not Christian. Liberation theology is not a Christian theology. It is its own religion. The reason it's not Christian, well, one of the many reasons, we, we we don't have time to go through an exhaustive list, is that it's entirely earthbound. It is predicated on a belief in a likewise earthbound Jesus. Kendi and those in his camp say that Jesus was some sort of political revolutionary dedicated to reshaping human society and solving our political and social problems. It's not a coincidence that this version of Jesus, the political revolutionary version, is one that many atheists favor as well. They also seek an earthbound Jesus. But the problem for the atheists and for Kendi's camp, and I say that as if they're two different groups and they're really not, is that the Gospels don't make that Jesus available to us. Of course, in order to know what the Gospel says about Jesus, you have to read the Gospels first, a step that Kennedy doesn't seem to have taken. But when you do, you'll perhaps be surprised to discover that Jesus was no political activist. He wasn't organizing marches and rallies. He wasn't out campaigning for causes. He did criticize the corrupt authorities of his day, because his work, his actual work, naturally put him in conflict with those authorities. But most of his ethical and moral preaching focused on universal and timeless moral truths. The Sermon on the Mount, for example, was chock full of timeless moral truths. He didn't spend a lot of time on specific political and social issues, even when his enemies tried to force him into it by backing him into a corner. You know, When he was, uh, of course, asked about uh, taxes, he simply said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He didn't spell out exactly what tax rate we should all be paying. He could have, but he didn't. He didn't take a position on the debate between a progressive tax or a flat tax. He never said anything about which economic system he favors. All this ridiculous debate, oh, was Jesus a socialist? Yeah, he, he didn't. He, no, he wasn't. He didn't endorse socialism. He also didn't offer any defenses of, liber, of, of libertarian free market principles. That simply was not the point of Christ's ministry. The primary point of his ministry was the saving work of salvation that he had come to perform. Yes, he wanted to liberate mankind, but liberate us from sin, from eternal death, not not from merely earthly oppression and suffering. If you remove or ignore the eternal element of Christ's mission and of Christianity itself, then you've removed or ignored the fundamental point of it all. What Kendi wants to do, again, no different from any other secularist, is strip away all that is supernatural and eternal from the Gospels and leave only the earthly, finite leftovers. But that's, that, that, there's not much left when you do that. That's the problem. If you take Jesus's miracles off the table and all of his talk about his salvific mission, his actual resurrection, um, what are you left with? Some valuable moral lessons, certainly. But uh, that's it. I mean, you're left with a guy who walked around 2,000 years ago, said some nice things, and then died and rotted away and became dust. You're not even left with a political revolutionary or or any sort of historically significant ethical teacher. There's not enough meat left on the bones to support that version of Jesus once you've taken all of the supernatural things away. So the choice, now we hear C.S. Lewis had the the trilemma. Um, Jesus was either a lord, liar, or lunatic. I think it's more simple than that. There's actually two, there's only two choices we're given by the Gospels when it comes to Jesus. Either he was the most significant person to ever live, and he still lives because he was greater than a person, much more than a person, or he was someone of almost no significance who was mythologized later on. Those are really your two options. Lots of people, Kendi included, look for some third option that just isn't there. But a real Christian has no problem choosing the first option. Kendi doesn't like that option because he's not a Christian. And that's why he's canceled today. Not canceled because he's not a Christian, but because he's not one while pretending to be. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. The show is edited by Allie Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart, And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. An Australian state has citizens sending selfies to the government to prove they haven't left their homes. The CDC floats another virtual Thanksgiving, quote-unquote. And most millionaires don't want to leave money to their lazy kids. I don't blame them. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.